Today's scripture is Luke 4, 1 through 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during the, those 40 days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors, and I uh, got a chance to teach with you this morning. Um, wasn't here last week. You guys got an opportunity to hear from Sean Myers, who is a pastor at the Redemption Arcadia Congregation, who did an incredible job here. So um, if you guys were not here, you should go online and listen to him. He did an incredible job with the text. Um, however, this morning, we are not going to be going through Romans. As you heard from Jim, we are going to take a pause off of Romans, and we're going to go through, uh, look at Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4 um, and just meet me there. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we are, we are giving out to you so that you can have a copy of God's Word. Um, as you turn there, a couple things I want to bring to your attention. Um, last week, I was gone, um, not on break. I got several text messages of people saying, oh, it must be nice to take sabbatical. And it's like, dude, I was in Flagstaff. Who wants to be in Flagstaff? I was in Flagstaff with, our, with our, uh, our junior high and senior high ministry. And so how many of our junior high and senior high kids do we have here? Oh, yeah. I, I, some of you. Some of you are clapping and you are not in junior high. <laughs> weird, um, but we're glad you were there too, uh, is uh, we, we had our winter camp up there, and it was amazing. Will Vikurovich, who is a leader who oversees that, and his staff do an incredible job with the kids there, and it was amazing to see uh, students center their lives around conversations around Jesus. It was amazing. It was a, it was a great opportunity for me um, just to see the spirit at work, and I was super encouraged. The only negative part about that winter camp is I got sick. And many other kids got sick, and I found out today where my sickness came from. Nasty junior high and high school boys, right? <laughs> um, and so Friday, honestly, Friday morning, I got up. I had a meeting at 7 o'clock, actually with Greg, who was up here um, talking about Greek IV. Um, and I went home and went to sleep and didn't wake up till later that night. And then same thing happened yesterday on Saturday, and we'll see what happens today. And so my voice may, may, may just leave, if that's okay. I've learned how to sign the rest of my message. Uh, if, if, if I pass out, whoever's got the gift of healing here, just come pray for me. I'll get back up. We'll finish it. And we'll get you back to your, <laughs> to your regular schedule. <laughs> All right? Um, so, yeah, so just bear with me with that. So what that means is after the service, I usually stand out there, don't shake my hand. Um, you can talk to me. Don't give me knuckles. Don't complain about the sermon or you'll get it. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just stay away from me, right? Um, what you guys should have had in your, on your seat is you should have received uh, a flyer there from the Rio Vista Center. Why don't you guys take that out right now and hold it in your hand. Um, what we started um, about, about a month ago, we had Tony come in from the Rio Vista Center. The Rio Vista Center in itself, for those of you who don't know or forgot, it's a ministry here in Tempe that is getting started. And we raised $27,000 to give to them that's going to feed and provide resources for homeless people here in Tempe. And so one of the things we're going to do on every first Sunday of the month is our Outward Focus Sunday in which we highlight a ministry or something in which we are doing outside of ourselves to bless the community and or the nation. Um, what we're also going to do simultaneously with that is start our M25 ministry. Now, M25 is taken from the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, when Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. Um, when, I was, when I was naked, you gave me clothes. And it's that tangible ministry that we have to the people in our community. And so what you'll get is each week before the first week of, uh, of the month, you'll get a kind of a flyer like that that will let you know what to bring in. So look over that flyer. See the materials that are there. Um, go buy those materials. Don't bring a used thing of toothpaste, okay? Go buy what needs to be um, purchased and then bring it next Sunday. Okay, when are you supposed to bring this? Okay, when? I have to say it because I know what's going to happen. We're going to come next week and people are going to go, oh, I thought it was the Sunday after next Sunday. It's like, no, next Sunday, bring it. There will be trash cans there for you can drop those items in and we'll do this every month. But make sure you take that with you and uh, bring those items back to be able to bless the Rio Vista Center. So um, Luke chapter 4. 
Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, Jim has basically already told you where we are and why we are taking this week off of, off of Romans. But let, let me explain and color that in a little bit. Is for the past probably two months, definitely for the past six months for me personally, I have been having this just unwrestle, this, this um, restless wrestle with God. And, and what I mean by that is looking at my own life and examining my own life and where I am vertically with the Lord. Now, not saying my standing before God, right? We've been walking through Romans. I know that I'm justified before God because of the work of Christ, but my relationship with God, right? Um, I use this illustration a lot because it's the best one that I have. Is It's one thing for me to go to the court and realize I have a wedding marriage license and another thing to have a relationship with Holly, it's one thing to show you guys, look at, look at my license. Like, isn't that amazing? See, Holly and Ricardo married. Aren't we so cute, right? Look at this paper, right? No. It's another thing to pursue my wife in love and have a vibrant relationship with her. And so we've been asking that question personally, um, ourselves, and what that looks like, and then even corporately, what that looks like for us as a church. And so at the beginning of the year, what we decided to do were restructure our elder meetings, make them longer, spend time talking about all of the details that we need to go through, and spend an extended time, hour or so, in prayer and just asking God to meet us. And what we had in that moment is that we broke off around the campus and we um, had a period of time where we just listened to the Holy Spirit and said, God, what are you calling us? What are you communicating to us? And when we came back together, what we realized is just what different people sharing is, is maybe God's calling us to just pause. And, and, and maybe what we're doing, maybe we're going through the motions a little bit. Maybe we have the vertical understanding that we're justified, but do we really have this vibrant relationship with Jesus that we once had? All right, so here's what we do. Think about in your life, those of you guys who are Christians, those of you guys who follow Jesus, I get not everybody in here is a Christian. Um, there's probably moments or maybe a season or two in your life where you can look back and you can say, in that moment was the most special time that I had with God. Like the most special time. Maybe the circumstances surrounding that moment wasn't the best, but that time that you had with the Lord in that season, not, not, not just as a, at a camp, but a season in your life where you were so committed to the Lord that he was what you needed and, and, and he satisfied you with himself, not just the blessings. And, and maybe from there, God began to bring things into your life, other blessings, but those blessings became main things and then God just kind of got pushed to the outside that, that a relationship with God is there, but it's on the margin. Like what we do is we begin to make decisions on our own apart from who God is. And there could be such a way, listen to me, there could be such a way that we as a church, that we can go doing church, we can have more people coming, we can have fuller services, we can open up the overflow rooms, which I hate because of the Concordian things that we have going on there. Um, we could do all of that stuff and go, wow, there's a lot of people here, and we could be preaching the gospel, we could be singing songs, we could be baptizing people, dedicating babies, and then God could just be on the sideline. <laughs> He could just be on the sideline. And as leaders here, we're saying we don't, we don't, we don't want that at all. Um, there's, there's this song that I first heard when I became a Christian. And, um, and you probably know it. It says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. How many of you guys have heard that song before? Yeah. Some of you like it. Some of you don't like it. Um, regardless, the, the point of it is going, we could make this thing called Christianity about everything else other than Christ. Um, and so what, what we're saying in this season is saying, God, we believe what you're calling us to do is to take a season of prayer and take a season of fasting. And what we're praying and what we're fasting for primarily is a deep reliance and a deep longing and a deep desire for God and God alone. Like, we just want to be godly. Like, we, we don't want to be seen as the church that's godly. You know, we want to just be godly. We're going to be known as a church. We just want to be godly and follow Jesus at the very bare minimum of what it means to be a Christian, to trust in Christ and to follow Jesus. We're saying, God, that's all we want. And so if that means that we lose people, if that means we need to stop certain things that we're doing, we just want to reevaluate everything and say, Lord, we'll place them before you and whatever you want to burn and just get rid of, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And, and, and we're just saying, as a church, let's just enter in that season together. 
And the time that we're going to do that, as Jim said, is March 5th, April 20th. Now, that is known historically in the church calendar as a season of Lent. And so if you grew up Lutheran or Episcopalian or, or Catholic, you probably are familiar with Lent. Um, if you grew up in a non-denominational Christian church or you're new to Christianity, you probably have never heard of it. Um, Lent is not something that is uniquely Catholic. It is something that is uniquely Christian. You're not going to find it in the Bible. It, it, was, it happened around the 4th century when people um, decided to say, what can we do to prepare ourselves for Easter, for this Resurrection Sunday? And one of the things they said is, let's take this time of Lent and let's, let's deny ourselves of certain things to remind ourselves how much more we need God. And so it was a moment of some sort of fasting, and people have done different things where they've, they've fasted, you know, video games or TV or food or whatever it may be. There's this time. And we're saying we're not necessarily highlighting Lent. We're using that as the vehicle for our destination, which is ultimately longing and desiring God and to look like God. And, and what does it look like for us to increase our amount of prayer and fasting in that season and say, God, would you purify us? Would you be able to allow us to examine ourselves before your scripture and before Christ that we would, we would be satisfied fully in you? Um, b- because if you're anything like me, your spiritual life could feel like it's on the treadmill and that you're running as hard as you can and you're going nowhere, right? Like you're going nowhere. And I'd much rather say, unplug the treadmill, and even if we don't run and we walk, but we're moving closer into the presence and the awareness of God, I'd much rather have that. I'd much rather have that. I'd much rather be a pastor who leads that way, and I'd much rather lead, lead a church that says we, we could care less about the quote-unquote cool things in this world, but we will surrender ourselves to the fullness of the presence of God's glory. Like, unashamedly, that holiness is something that we're not afraid of. Because holiness comes in our relationship and knowing Christ. Amen? So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, which is a a pretty popular, uh, famous passage of Jesus when himself, he was filled with the Spirit. He himself had fasted for 40 days. And then in this time, he's being tempted by Satan. He's been tempted by the devil. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning, Luke chapter 4. And I'll walk through three prayers that go alongside these temptations that Jesus has. These are three prayers that we could be praying for ourselves. And at the very end of it, I'll give us some practical things and what we can do as a congregation. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Um, Here's a context here in Luke chapter 4 for us to understand this. Luke chapter 3, what we have is Jesus is baptized. Um, Jesus, for 30 years, walked around this earth, never said he was God. For 30 years, he never said, hey, I'm the son of God. He was just Jesus of Nazareth. He was Mary and Joseph's baby boy. And and, and that's, that's what they knew Jesus as. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up to his cousin, John the Baptist, who's baptizing people. He gets baptized. It's the most significant baptism in history, right, we have a pretty cool baptism thing here called the trough that we usually do, and it's exciting. Well, Jesus got baptized, and God spoke. As far as I can remember, God has never spoken during one of our baptisms. As he has, I missed it, right? Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan, and then God says, this is my son and who I'm well pleased, right? My guess is the people around him are like, okay, this must be the son of God, right? Because Something just spoke, right? God spoke. What you have this Trinitarian moment. You have Jesus the Son being baptized. You have God the Father freaking people out by speaking audibly. And then you have the Holy Spirit anointing him in that moment. It's just this celebration. That's what baptism is. So the reason why we have baptism here is we're celebrating new life. And we clap and we're excited. And people go out to eat and we give them shirts and it's amazing. So Jesus gets baptized in this moment. He's excited. It's a spiritual high. It's a spiritual high. And some of us have had that. Many of our high school and junior high kids, they've had that. You go to a camp experience or you go to some retreat or you have a season in your life where God seems so real to you. And then you come back to the valley And it's hard. It's hard. In fact, one of my favorite stories in scriptures is Jesus when he's at the Mount Transfiguration. And if you're not familiar with that story, Jesus is on the Mount. He he shows himself in glory. And then you have Abraham, who was dead, comes there. Elijah, who was dead, comes there. And then you have Peter, James, and John. And they're looking like, should we be here? Like they're having this 
this amazing spiritual high with God. And then as soon as they get down from the mountain, they're trying to cast out demons. And Jesus goes, no, you can't cast out these demons. And they're like, wait a minute. A few chapters before, we were able to cast out demons. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, some of these things, they're in too deep. They can only take prayer and fasting. So in my head, I start um, thinking about what are the things that are in too deep for us? that are going to take prayer and fasting. Um, marital faithfulness, um, pornography, uh, body issues, sloth, apathy, worldliness. Th- th- these are things that are in us. These are not things that are outside of these walls. These are, these are things that are in us. And, 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 and as God's people, they're in us. Um, and, and, and a sermon's not going to pull them out. Laying hands on you is not going to pull it out. It's going to be multiple, multiple prayers upon prayers that, that it's deep. It's going to be fasting and asking God to bring forth his kingdom to be able to pull those things out. You, you have Jesus right now, after he's been baptized, he, he goes into one of the tougher moments of his life, his ministry, that before he even starts doing ministry. It's a way that God allows Satan to even tempt him in order that he may be prepared for the ministry that he has. And this is not something that's unique to Jesus. Moses had 40 years, excuse me, Moses didn't have 40 years. Moses had 40 days of fasting and prayer. And then God led him to lead his people. The people of Israel had 40 years in the wilderness before he brought them into the promised land. God let it rain 40 days and 40 nights before he restarted the creation of this, of this world with Noah. And, and we're, we're saying, Lord, maybe you could just take 40 days for us and whatever you have for us next. Maybe it looks the same, but maybe it looks different. And so Jesus, now in this moment of fasting and prayer, here's what, here's what Luke says. Luke says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we really get into this text, i got to talk about a couple things. That's fasting and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. First, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Depending on your, your upbringing, um, maybe you've never heard what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or maybe you have heard what it means, but you're not exactly sure if that's necessarily what the Bible teaches. Um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, one, is different than being led by the Spirit. What we've been talking about in Romans chapter 8 for the past several weeks is to be led by the Spirit. That is to believe in Christ Jesus, trust in him, and that the Spirit is guiding your walk. And the Spirit is going to take you to your final destination to be like Christ and to look like Christ to see him face to face. To be filled with the Spirit is a command. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, do not be drunk off wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He said, there's some people that are influenced too much by wine. I would argue there are some people, in, there are many people in our church that are a little too influenced by the wine. Not the box wine that we provide for communion. That can't get you anywhere, right? <laughs> Other stuff. <laughs> he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what does that mean? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have deep joy and communion with God the Father and God the Son that's radiated by the Spirit. It is to have deep joy and desire and communion with the Father and the Son that is radiated or manifested by the Spirit in your life. And the way that we become filled with the Holy Spirit is by faith in who Christ is. And reminding ourselves again and again and again of the good news of Christ Jesus. And what we have in relationship and communion with God. Now, that may be different than what some of you have been exposed to. Um, Some of you may have thought that maybe being filled with the Spirit meant that you had to have certain spiritual gifts that came along with that. And, And the Bible does not teach that. Hear me. The Bible does not teach that. There are times in the Bible where you see people are filled with spirit and they, and they speak in tongues. Absolutely. There are times in the Bible where people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they prophesy. Absolutely. And I happen to be a believer in both private prayer language, tongues, prophecy, all of that. But you do not need to have those things to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to love Jesus and to desire to look like him and follow him by faith. That's it. So here's, here's Jesus. He's desiring communion with his Father. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning he desires God's kingdom, and then he's fasting. Second thing, it's fasting. Many of us have never fasted. Many of us are not really sure what fasting is. Fasting is not a means to lose weight. 
Um, fasting is not even something that's commanded in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture that says you have to fast. Not in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it did. Um, fasting is not something that, um, that we do to make ourselves godly. Jesus makes us godly by grace. That is something we receive by him. Um, so what is the purpose of fasting? In essence, the purpose of fasting is longing for Jesus. Like one of the clearest scriptures that we see in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus' disciples are talking to him, and they said, hey, Jesus, John's disciples, they, he teaches them how to fast, right? And they're kind of testing Jesus like, you're supposed to be the son of God, but you haven't taught us how to fast. What's the deal, right? And Jesus says, you don't need to fast as long as you have the bridegroom. He's saying, as long as you have me, you don't need to fast, but when I leave, then you fast. And so throughout the New, New Testament, there's an implicit that the church in Acts chapter 13, they fast to make decisions. We see people fasting to see God move in certain ways. Um, ultimately, it's God's kingdom and longing for God is why we fast. And, and that's why we fast. And we as a church, as a congregation, are saying we want to fast to say, Lord, we want to see more people in our community that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. We want to see ourselves in areas of sin that we feel like we're stuck, that's in too deep, that you can remove it that you can reach into our hearts and begin to take out and weed out the things in our life that are deading our affections for you. And, and, and so Jesus is in this moment, um, um, now filled with the Spirit, fasted for 40 days, and about to be tempted. And I was thinking about an illustration or a picture to kind of show us where I think we are as a, as a church. Um, and the way I think about it is this. If you've been to the grocery, sh- all of us have been grocery shopping before, and we've made a list, and we've had, excuse me, get some of this some of this uh, Jesus juice right here. (laughs) (sighs) Y'all don't even know about that. (laughs) It's the wine. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So you have, you have, you've been grocery shopping before, and you have a list of things that you want to get. Have you ever gone grocery shopping hungry, right? Yeah, exactly, right? You get into the grocery store, and everything on the list you get and then everything else, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we need, some, we need frozen pizzas, ice cream. We need all of that. Yeah, rice cakes? I've never, yeah, right? Why not? I don't even know what rice cakes are, right? I remember the first time that I ever had Fig Newtons. To me, I'm like, who eats Fig Newtons, right? I'm hungry, right? I'll get Fig Newtons. And you come home, and, and if you're like me, you come home, and your, your, your wife's probably looking at you going, are you stupid? Like, what'd you, what'd you do? Or your roommate's like, why'd you spend all our money? Sorry. <laughs> Why'd you spend all our money? Uh, and it's like, well, we, I, at the time, I thought I needed all these things, right? It's like, you don't understand. You know what Twinkies has got now? It's got this new snack. You bite into it, right? Like they said there's strawberry and glitter all coming out. It's, it's like the new stuff, right? And it happens to us. We get all types of stuff. Literally, Fig Newtons and Wheat Thins were two things I thought, who eats those things? And when I was in college starving one day, I was like, ooh, Fig Newtons. Wheat Thins, right? <laughs> wheat thins doesn't even sound like something a grown man should eat, right? So there, there, there is these moments where we get all of this junk that's in the cart that we don't even need. And, and I think that's a picture of us, is that we have the list, and it's love Jesus. And so we say, yeah, we love Jesus. And what happens, we're not filled with the Spirit. We're not pursuing him. We're not following him. He is not the most important thing in our life. He's pushed to the margin. And so what happens is we go down the aisles of this world, and we add everything else to this. Good things that we make the main things. We, we want a we particular career, and so we put that career on that. And what happens is we pursue that career, and we really don't pursue Jesus. We want a particular spouse in that, and so we, pers- we pursue the idea or a person, and we, we, we take Jesus, and we kind of push him to the, to the side. Um, we, we take all these other things, even our parenting, even our marriages, beautiful things in which God has given us gifts, and what we do is we just, we don't, we don't even center our lives around Christ in those things. We push him to the margin, and so what happens is we have these shopping carts, right, called our hearts, And there's so many other things in our life that we give our affections and our pursuits to other than God. And so one of the things that we're saying we we are taking a season for is just for purification of our own lives. To get back to a moment in our time and our walk with the Lord where God was enough. I was praying this morning going, God, remember when you were just enough for me? Like, remember when you, you were just enough Not just when I became a Christian, but seasons in my life where I said, I don't care. 
You are enough. If I have these things, great, but you are enough. And what happens is whenever you try to hold on to your relationship with Jesus and add anything else to it, you open the other door and you kick Jesus out. You think you have him, and you're walking your life carrying the things that are actually ruining you, ruining us. So we say, Lord, could we come back to the heart of worship when it's all about you? What I do in my vocation is about you. The way I treat my wife is about you. The way I treat my friends is about you. That I have a desire for your word because your word reveals you. That I don't come to a church service to be entertained, but I come for you. That everything that I do is for you. Like, remember that? Like, when, when it was just about Jesus? That's what we're saying. Can we, can we have that back, God? And, and, and the, the promise that we know is he says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Amen? So let's see how Jesus did in his fast and the temptations he came from Satan and the temptations we can expect and the prayers we can have. So Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man should not live by bread alone. And so what you have is Jesus is, is tempted, he's hungry, and then Satan comes to him. I want to pause. There is a devil, just in case you didn't know. Like, there's a devil, he's real. Um, he's real. Like, he's a created being, he was an angel, he rebelled against God, and a third of the angels came with him. They're called demons. The best thing that Satan could do is get us to believe that he's not real. He's real. Right? And he's influencing decisions. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, you cannot be possessed by a demon, but you can be influenced. And we'd be fools to think that there's nothing in which we do in our world around us that's not influenced by Satan. The way that addictions take over people, um, I believe the attacks on marriages in this room, right? In this room, not just in our world, in this room, it's definitely demonic. And so Jesus is being tempted by Satan in this moment. And, and, and it's interesting because the first thing Jason, um, Jason, not Jason, Jason's a pastor here. He's not Satan. <laughs> Get some more of this Jesus juice. Sorry, Jason. We love you, buddy. The first thing that Satan does to Jesus, that's where it happened. Jesus, all right, there you go. The first thing that Satan does to Jesus is he tempts him with bread. And you may be thinking, like, bread? Really? You're going to go after the Son of God and go turn a stone into bread? But think about it. Jesus is fully man, and he's fully God. But fully man, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. If you don't eat for six hours, how angry are you at people, right? There have been moments in your life, you ever had those moments where you didn't eat enough and you're maybe at somebody else's table, you're eating with some friends and you're looking at their food like, I wonder if they're going to finish that, right? <laughs> I wonder if they're going to finish. They leave and you, mm, right? Here's Jesus in this moment, he's hungry. And so, so Satan says, okay, if you're the son of God, take this stone and turn it to bread. Now Jesus easily could have turned the stone into bread. We know that because later he turns water into wine, right? And, and, but he doesn't. But notice what Satan does. Here's what you need to know. When you're weak, he will attack. And not only will he attack when you're weak, he will attack wherever you're weakest at. And so the question I have for you is, when it comes to comfort, because that's what this first thing is about, where do you go to for comfort when you don't go to God? When you're weak, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when it's late at night, when things are not going your way, when you're stressed, where do you go to? Is it food? Is it food? Some of us it is. We, 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 we become binge eaters, right? I know for me, especially on a Sunday night, I could be exhausted. Everyone, everyone could be asleep in my house. My wife's asleep. The kids sleep. And then the bag of trail mix is calling me. It's saying, Ricardo, eat me, right? And I just keep eating and eating. And we joke about that, but it is. It, it's something for comfort. Some of us, it's alcohol. If I hear, guys, listen to me. <laughs> the times in which I hear people, Christians, say it's okay to be drunk. Ah, I was a little drunk. I was kind of drunk. I, I don't have to go too far in Scripture to say, guys, that's not pursuing holiness. But that's where we go to for comfort. We will go to it. Work sucks. Happy hours there. Let's get comfort. 
I'm not saying drinking alcohol is a sin. Being drunk is a sin. Everywhere in the Bible, it's always a sin. Old Testament, New Testament, in this church and every church, it's a sin. Um, many, many are, it's sexual morality. That's where you go to for your comfort. Whether it's the internet and whether it's a person or whatever it may be, you go there. There's, there's, where do you go to? You, you find that thing. Where do you go to when you're not going to God for comfort? Where do you go to? You'll find it. G- uh, Satan tries to go straight to Jesus' appetite. You don't think he's going to try to seduce us for pleasure? Because he knows naturally what we want to be, especially as Americans, we want to be comfortable. Like, that's what we want. We want to be around people who look like us. We want to be like people who dress like us, vote like us, have the same banking account as us, eat at the same restaurants as us. We want to be around people like us. And, and, and that's not what Jesus has here. In fact, Jesus responds to Satan with the word of God in verse 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live off bread alone. He goes, you want me to turn the stone into bread, um, but ultimately I know what God's word says. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit will always draw you to God's word. Um, he just quotes scripture straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, and the, the context in which Jesus quotes out of Deuteronomy is that God had provided manna, that his people didn't have food, and every day he'd provide this substance from the sky that they would be able to eat, showing that God will be his provider. And so that means in our moments, whether it be something that's an appetite that we have, whether it's something that's an addiction, that's a bad habit, that's sinful things that we run to, what we're saying in this season is during this fast, we know we'll be tempted to say, where are we going to find comfort outside of our comfort in God? And so, so the prayer that we have um, collectively is that God would make us comfortable with being uncomfortable. That just, just not just during a season, just this, our posture is that God would make us comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the same way that Jesus was comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know what that means? That, that, that means not only do you begin to deny the things that you know that will try to satisfy you other than God, but also we, we begin to think less about what we can get out of things and out of our relationships. There's so often, even when it comes to churches, and I know a lot of you guys are new to this church, is that you usually pick things off affinity. Do the people look like me? You have people in our congregation who come here because they go, I love it because people are young. You know who, to me, the hardest people to be a part of our church, and I applaud? Um, Minorities and old people, older people. Um, Minorities and and older people, right? And, And honest, I mean, just in all honesty, if If you are older, and you know who you are, I don't need to say who you are, you know who you are, you know every time you come here, it's like, it's going to be me and a few of my friends, right? And if you're a minority, you know every time you come here, it's going to be me, right? And after that, it's like, it's like, what what, what, what are we doing, right? And, and, And there's differences. Guys, that's the church. You know what Jesus is saying here when he says that man cannot live off bread alone but by the words of God? He's saying God is enough. Like, he's enough, like, this would be a perfect time. This would be a, a perfect time. If you're, if you're looking and you're checking out, man, I wonder if I should go to a different church. We don't care, right? Like, we, we, we're not going to cater to a particular demographic. If I hear someone say, I don't like hipsters, or I want to be around athletes, or I want to be around tall people, it's like, listen, if I cared about being around people who look like me, I'd find another job, right? <laughs> and I, and I, I, say that, I say that jokingly, but at the end of the day, God has to be enough, not our comfort. Check yourself. Like, I have to check myself. God, what am I doing? Not just in sinful ways, but even the way that I pursue you, that I'm looking for my comfort instead of looking like my Savior and being okay with being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because God is enough. Jesus is able to rely on the Holy Spirit and and have the sufficiency of God's word to know that God is, is enough. Amen? He's enough. The, the, the second, second temptation that we see is, is beginning here in verse 5. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the second temptation that you have is Jesus is taking up to see all the nations. Now, we don't know if this is literal or if this is a vision, but he's able to see all the kingdoms. And then Satan, lying to him, says, 
if you worship me, I will give you all of these. You know what's weird about this? Is I remember one of the first per- persons that I tried to disciple. It was a friend that I knew of a friend, and we were sitting down, and he was having these visions and these dreams. This guy um, was very, very good looking. Um, a lot of girls liked him. He had a lot of money, and, and uh, he told me he had this dream that Satan was talking to him and saying he can have everything if he would just run away from Jesus and worship him. And I remember sitting there going, hey, dude, Jesus had that same thing, and he trusted in God. Sadly, this guy said, I think I want these things. And I've never talked to him since. Never talked to him since. Okay, I share that story because we go, that's because he didn't want Jesus. We have a lot of us in this room. We want Jesus, and we still want control. What Satan is trying to offer Jesus, which he can't, is control. It says authority. He, you want control, Jesus? I can give you control. Satan cannot give you control. Nothing can get you control. God is in control. And until we can realize that, we will be looking more like Satan worshipers than Jesus followers. And it's in us. So the past probably four or five months just doing reflection upon myself. And, and, and it's, it's, it's hard, right? When you look at yourself in the mirror and, and you see everything. Or at least what God allows you to see. And you ask close people in your life. And you invite them in to tell you what they see. Um, one of the things I realized, I would have never said this about myself, is that I, I'm a controller. I would have never said I was a controller. And now I see it everywhere. Like, I want to control everything, right? Never give me a ride, ever. I am the worst passenger seat driver, back seat driver, car next to you driver, right? Turn here, slow down, turn the radio down, not that station, that, yeah, right there. Um, it's just, it just doesn't stop for me. Like, and I'm like, man, I really do. And it was the more and more responsibility God gave me, the more and more I became controlling. Isn't that weird? Like when I was a single guy, it was like, Lord, all of me, all of you. I got married. Lord, um, help me. I had kids. Lord, I got to control these kids, right? This is honestly my fear. I've never was afraid of dying until I had both my boys. And it's like, who are going to raise these guys? And I have these terrible thoughts like, if I die and Holly gets married, and then I start getting angry. Like, who is, who's going to come in and try to raise my kids, right? And it's like, what is going on in my head, right? What's going on in my head? And they're just, they're, honestly, guys, they're just fears. They're fears. And you have, you have yours. What are you trying to control that you're looking more like a Satan worshiper than a Jesus follower? It's a lie. Satan could not give Jesus the kingdoms. They were already his. Satan couldn't give him control. It was already his. He alone is sovereign. He is lo- alone is good. Satan sometimes gives us the illusion that we have control, right? Don't we think we have control of our lives, and then all of a sudden something happens and we go, we don't? It was like when I first started taking driver's class, and they said, we're going to go on the freeway. And we got on the ramp there, and, and this is in California, and I'm driving the car. And, you know, they always have, like, two other kids in the back seat, and then some random awkward dude who's the driver teacher. And he's like, slow down, slow down. And whenever I would get nervous on the freeway, for whatever reason, I would speed up, speed up, right? Because that's what you do in California when you drive on the freeway. And so I'm speeding up, and he's like, slow down, slow down. And then finally, like, the car starts slowing down, but I wasn't slowing down. And I'm like, what the heck's happening? And I look over, and he's got a brake on his side, right? I never knew that. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm not in control, right? The whole time, I thought Jesus gave me the will. And it wasn't even that, I wasn't even, that wasn't even the truth, right? That's how it is in our life. We think we have control, but we don't. Here's the best thing we can do. Here's the second prayer, is that we're able to pray that though things around us may be out of our control, that we know and trust that they're not out of God's control. That those things around us, our family, our friends, our job, this church, it's not in our control. Even our faith, (laughs) it's not in our control. But we can trust that they are in God's control and he's good and he loves us, amen? That he loves us. That doesn't mean that everything is going to go perfect. And so here's here's the thing I want you to think about now in this moment is um, 
And this is hard. I was doing this this morning. What do you have a grip on? It's probably what you love the most. And then and bring that to the altar with, to God and say, Lord, would you examine it and just take it? <coughs> right? So for me, that's my wife. Um, that's my kids. As much as I pray for God to save my kids, as much as I pray for God to, to continue to bless me in my marriage, I, I want him to enter into it. I don't know if I believe that they're his. And, and, and I think God is saying, no, 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 G- give them to me. Wh- whatever those things are, what are the things that you're holding on to? Is it your career? I, is it some, is your, your future? Um, if you're younger, it's the future thing that you have that you can't wait to get. If you're a little bit older, it's the legacy that you want to leave. And, and can, you, can you just give that to God and say, no, I'm not going to believe the lie that somehow I can control this and I have power and authority over it. It's already God's anyway. I'm just going to confess it and realize those things around me are completely out of my control, that they're not out of God's control because he is enough. Like, look, look at what Jesus says here. Um, when he responds to this second temptation, he says, again, from Deuteronomy, this time, chapter 6, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What is he saying? God is enough. Like, remember, God is enough. Like, when you became a Christian, God was enough. Your best times as a Christian, God himself, not what he can do, he was enough. Jesus is saying, whatever, Satan, God is enough. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he's led to God's word. And God word, God's word is sufficient for him, and he's able to quote it back to Satan. He's able to quote it back and say, listen, my God, ultimately Jesus, my Father, is enough. And I'm only going to give glory to him. And so we're saying God is enough, and he will always be enough. He has always been enough. Amen? The, the last temptation we have for Jesus here is a, a, a temptation for him to show his fame and to win people by fame. Uh, we pick up here in verse 9. It says, and he took him, that's Satan, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now, here's what, this is what Satan's doing. Y- you notice the conversation, right? Satan goes to Jesus and says, hey, stone in the bread. Jesus quotes scripture which let us know when there's attacks there, we should quote scripture. And then he comes back to him again, and he says, how about I give you authority over all the kingdoms? You can have control. And then he quotes scripture. So now Satan comes to him and goes, you know what? Let me quote scriptures to you. Just so you know, Satan knows the Bible. And his demons know the Bible. And sadly, they know it better than most of us. In fact, the book of James says that the demons know the Bible and they shudder. Like there's even actually a fear of who God is. But what Satan will do and most cults will do is take the scripture and then misinterpret it. And so what Satan does here, he takes Psalm chapter 91, which is talking about God's protection for those who love him and how he will always protect them in the midst of judgment. He takes two verses, 11 and 12, takes it out and says, Jesus, takes him to the pinnacle of the temple where everybody would have been able to see him and says, Jesus, how about you jump down from here? And guess what? Doesn't the word of God say that angels will catch you? Let the angels catch you, and it'll be amazing, and everyone will follow you. That's how you should become the Messiah. Like, do it your way. Just do it your way. And, and, and Jesus is like, no. He goes back to Deuteronomy, and he quotes scripture. He says, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. He goes, I'm not supposed to test God. Whenever you hear scripture being quoted... You should always go and one reference that scripture and realize if it seems like there's a contradiction, know that scripture will not contradict itself. If God has said, don't test me, and Satan's saying, test me, um, that's not what the word of God is saying. And so what, what Satan was doing here, what many commentaries would say is, he was just trying to get Jesus to say, do it your way, not the way that God has intended you to do it. And I thought, man, when I read that, I thought, that, that sounds familiar. Do it your way not the way God has intended. Um, I look at many of people who are getting into relationships with people clearly that they shouldn't be in relationship with when it comes to who they are in their faith and their biblical worldview. But because we want marriage, (laughs) we'll do it our way and get it on our own. Um, We do this the way that we do business because it becomes way more about the bottom line instead of doing it in a way that honors God and working for him. 
Um, we do this in almost every sphere of our life where yet God has called us to do something, but his way is not fast enough. It's not pragmatic enough. It's not quick enough. And so we will do it in our way, and ultimately we'll get there and we'll be on the right track. We'll just take a shortcut. Um, and we make it about us. The third prayer might be my favorite one, and that is we are praying that in this season and continually in us that God would increase and we would decrease. That God and his ways will, will be highlighted and us and our ways will be moved to the side. Because right now our ways are highlighted and God's are, God's are kind of pushed to the side. Um, and, and here's what I mean by this. When it comes to the way in which we do ministry as a church, for years we have been known as the quote-unquote cool church. I hate that. I hate it. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if some of you guys, this has never happened to me, when someone tells you you're smart, right, <laughs> no one's ever accused me. <laughs> Usually when they say that, I'm like, oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> they're, 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 when, you, when someone's smart, when you say, hey, you're a really smart person, you know what that person does? That person goes, oh, no, and now I have to be smart. And they strive and they strive and strive to make sure that they're smart people. And many of them end up taking majors that they shouldn't take, taking jobs that they shouldn't take, but because they, because they have to keep up this persona of what everybody else thinks of them, that they have to be smart. I think a lot of times when it comes to cool churches that we have that too. That somehow there has to be some cool factor and whoever is on stage has to be a cool person, has to be able to articulate and be able to say things really well and make people laugh and all that. And it's like, that is meaningless. Like if that's the case, shut the doors. I quit. Right? And we should all quit and go somewhere else where it's godly. Not a show. Like, not a show. Because if it is about anything that we can do to draw people to ourselves, pointless. Now, does God use particular people? Does he use us as a church and give us gifts? Absolutely. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying, if we ever try to do things to try to be famous, if we ever try to do things in order to put on a show for anybody, we've missed the gospel. Like the main point of the gospel is that Jesus is famous, and he is the famous one. And we just ride on his coattails, and we are delighted to follow Jesus. Not a person, not a personality, not anything that we do, but Jesus. We say, God, you have to increase and like make us really, really small that we make much about Jesus because Jesus is enough. That's it. And so if anybody said anything about redemption, I would hope that it would be they follow Jesus and they take him seriously. They follow God and they take God seriously. That you can't pin us down because of any particular theological argument or any sort of expression, but we are who we are, creating the image of God and redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so whatever temptations we have to be popular which many of us want. It's great to get out of boys. I remember the first time I started preaching, I loved it when people said, good sermon, yes. And then all of a sudden when people didn't say anything, I thought, no, what does that mean, right? Now it's pointless, guys. And I'm not going to say, say I'm over it. I'm just as insecure as the next person. And I hate it. I hate it. Because it's not who God has created me to be, and it's not who God has created to be. We're not created to go around trying to prove ourselves to other people. God is already impressed with us in Christ. Jesus was not supposed to become the Messiah by being famous and doing crazy tricks. Jesus was to become the Messiah as it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, that he would lay his life down for the people who would not love him, but whom he so desperately loved. And we got off the throne of heaven and came into this earth to crack his body and bleed so that we would have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. It would be selfless, sacrificial love. And if we, those of us in this room who are Christians, are to follow him, we are supposed to have that same sort of selfless, sacrificial love that our names, remove, they're removed. They're removed so that Christ would be exalted and that the name of God would be exalted. And if that's not the case, we should shut the doors, guys, I should quit and go teach high school again, coach football. And, and I'm, I'm being dead serious. I'm being dead serious, guys. We, we, we play church a lot. But I wonder sometimes, are we really following God? And what is he calling us to do? And hear me, that's no guilt. That's not to say you guys aren't doing it, we are doing it. We're saying, no, we're all in this together. And we're asking for God to meet us 
and to draw us near to him. That when we begin to sing, we sing as people who are passionately in love with him. That when we begin to serve the poor, we empty our pockets because we realize we are rich in Christ Jesus. That when we begin to knock on our neighbor's doors, that we don't just say hello, but we tell them about the good news of Jesus. That when we repent and we look at our lives, we don't just say, oh, God will forgive me. We know we hate sin the way God hates it, and we're thankful for his grace in our life, that he's the one who's transforming us. That we become a people that realize that we are totally okay with being comfortable with being uncomfortable. That we understand we are not in control, and we're not going to be controllers. We're going to trust that God is in control, and that we ourselves would decrease, and that God himself would increase. Amen? That, that, that's, that's, that's what we're asking for. That is what we're asking for God for. And so I just want to give us a couple practical things that in this time that we, are, that we, um, that we, we believe God's calling us to, to and practically for us. And that is this. During this time of this fast, that you would take one day, one day a week, and you would fast. One day, whether that be a full day, whether it be a couple meals, I don't know. Just prayerfully consider it. Prayerfully consider it. Don't just do it because I told you to do it. Prayerfully consider it. Um, and also that you would take an hour, at least an hour a day in prayer. And you may say, I don't pray 10 minutes now. Doesn't just do it. And just think of it as, as, as stretching out your prayer muscles and getting better. Part, partly for me, what I've learned, the best thing to do, if you can't stay still, just go for a walk and just pray. Take your kids on a walk and pray. Take your friends. Go prayer groups. Pray. Just pray. And pray for people who don't know Jesus, they would come to know Jesus. Pray for boldness of us as a church. Pray for God's Holy Spirit to come upon us in ways that are exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Just pray for God to change us in a way that we look more like Jesus and we smell more like Jesus. And that our city begins to look more like Jesus because of the ministry that he's doing through the people at this church. And so two things, that you would take one day a week and you'd pray. One day a week, and you'd, excuse me, one day a week you'd fast, and every day you'd pray for at least an hour. Guys, one other thing here that, that you look at Jesus, do you notice that Jesus, every temptation that he had, that he quoted the word? That, there, that Jesus said himself that um, in moments of temptation, in moments that you're being accused, that the spirit himself, don't, be wor- don't worry about what you will say, that the spirit himself would bring forth the word of God. Everything that you've ever read, he's, he, he will bring forth. There will be a memory there. But the one thing I would tell you is, the Holy Spirit only brings to remembrance what you've remembered. Meaning, if you've never taken God's word and you begin to learn it, if, you, if you've never known God's word, you could be more influenced by the things of this world than the things of Christ. And, and that means start somewhere and grow in the knowledge of God's word. And if you don't know, if you're saying, I don't know, I need, I need help Please contact. We have men and women in this church who would love to teach you how to read your Bible. You don't even have to take a class. They will set up a time with you and teach you how to read your Bible so that we can grow in the knowledge of God. Amen? Would you pray with me?